Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Go Steelers! Go Steelers! Say Go Steelers! Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of Sports Drink Network. This is Tom coming to you from the Washington, D.C. Outpost. Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. And the Steelers end the 2022 season on a high note, overwhelming the Browns 28-14, to although we here at the Outpost consider that score to be 35-14. to I mean, they scored 35 points, right, Dad? His knee wasn't down. We are talking about Najee Harris. So this is going to tie in to a bigger theme of this episode of the podcast, and it's going to tie into the resounding theme of the 2022 season, and it's going to tie into, let's just, let's not bury the lead, it's going to tie into the significant optimism we have for the 2023 season, and, and, and what I mean by that is, no, they didn't score 35 points officially, Coaching and challenge decisions are part of scoring points in the NFL. Steelers tried to challenge it. They didn't score. So we're being a little bit cute. But the process worked. The process is going down the field in like 10 run plays and two pass plays, one of them being a beautiful scramble by Kenny Pickett, and jamming the ball down the larynx of the Cleveland Browns, a.k.a. the biggest loser franchise in the history of all organized sports at any level, professional, college, High school, hell, even adult rec league. The Cleveland Browns are the Browns, and it looks like they're returning to Brownstown, even though Deshaun Watson is impossible to sack. Although, wait, I guess the Steelers did it seven times. What we're going to be looking at, it's not all results-based, okay? I know people want to feel that way. I know that if the Steelers fans were Chiefs fans, their overwhelming thought would be, we are squandering Patrick Mahomes' career, and if Patrick Mahomes didn't hit the fourth and 17 pass in the Super Bowl, then we wouldn't even have any Super Bowls, and everything sucks, and Andy Reid sucks, and Patrick Mahomes is a bust. That's what Steelers fans will be thinking, because any narrative, they're going to spin into that. But it's about process, people, okay? And the Steelers' process is looking good, and that process led them to, we're calling it a 35-14 to 14 win over the Browns, with Deshaun Watson, yes, not nearly at full strength yet, but it, it, it's hard to be upset with the Steelers and how they ended the season there, Dad, especially considering we've been so psyched about their wins the past few weeks, but kind of whispering to each other like, they're only scoring one touchdown a game. It is cool that they're scoring on the last play, but it was really nice to see the Steelers, who started disgustingly sloppily after that first drive after that airborne Najee Harris fumble, get it together and really finally dominate a game for the first time all year. That was really cool to see. And yes, I'll acknowledge it is kind of a bummer that they didn't make the playoffs. I may not be as bummed as everyone else because once again, I'm more into process 
do you think that it's a good or bad thing that they missed the playoffs? Or are we being a little too cute with that question? I don't think it's too cute. It's being argued. I was just reading The Athletic and uh, Kaboli this at lunch, and um, that question was posed. And Kaboli is in favor of your position, which or your original position, which it's better to end on the high note in uh, rather than get demoralized in uh, the f- first playoff game. I disagree yeah. with that position for a couple of reasons, for a few reasons. Oh, okay. One, you get to play more football. And what are we going to do? It's really about us and our listeners. It is. Number two, I just find it hard to believe these guys would be demoralized. I mean, these are they're, they're at the pro level now. Maybe a, a veteran can handle it better. But the thought that they're going to sit around dwelling on that last loss for eight months, I think that's overblown. I think they can just as easily yeah. dwell on the seven and two record after the bye as they would a blowout playoff loss. The other thing that you might maybe at this trying to appeal to you and uh, persuade you to my side is that mm-hmm. we don't want any excuse to retain the people who <laughs> brought Matt Canada. Sorry, I'll just say it. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I think you have a great point, and I honestly think the answer to this question is it doesn't really matter either way but if you want to argue for it being more positive that the Steelers make the playoffs obviously there, there could be a good mood around the town and the team and you, you get to say you made the playoffs and I know Steelers fans want to take any victory that isn't a Super Bowl victory and say the Steelers are a poverty franchise because I guess the Steelers fans I don't did they not get news in Pittsburgh dad I haven't lived in Pittsburgh for a long time but I'm, I don't think that our fan base not, not the people listening to this podcast, of course we know. Actually, we have a lot of interaction with uh, supporters of the podcast on Twitter, and I'm pretty thrilled at the conversations we get to have and how measured people are. So I am poking fun at some big, maybe more shock jock Pittsburgh news personalities that do have these problems on Twitter, um, and I'm just kind of being tongue-in-cheek about it. But I guess what I'm, I'm trying to say is nobody knows that there's a salary cap now because the 70s Steelers with their dynasty – And then the Patriots somehow forming a dynasty in the time when it's impossible to have one. It's fried everyone's brains. You got to remember, Peyton Manning should really only have one Super Bowl. He got carried to the last one when he had no legs left. Uh, Aaron Rodgers has one. You can't just say, oh, Drew Brees has one. Like, it is hard to win them. Eli Manning has two. He wasn't even that great. So it shows you it's just circumstantial how this stuff happens. But let's get back to the point about the playoffs. Right, Making the playoffs, I, I agree with you. It does have some value. Secondarily, the Steelers were playing in a de facto playoff game yesterday versus the Browns because the Steelers needed to win in or they had a 0%. Uh, they needed to win or they had a 0% chance of making the playoffs if they lost the game. However, that is a little different than actually playing in a playoff game, which will be a standalone game generally in a nationally televised um, situation. And a lot of veteran NFL players say, there is a difference between a play-in game and an actual playoff game, and it would have been cool for Kenny and Pickens and the young guys to get that sort of experience. And I think that there is some value to that. And remember, the, and considering the opponent is not going to be the lowly right. Browns. Right, and you'd have a chance. I think they would have played the Bills, so you would have had a chance to um, rectify the embarrassment. <laughs> you had a score, maybe. Um <laughs> And I also think you're right that we could be overstating how much this stuff lingers on players over the offseason, but I don't know because look how everyone felt about the Patriots all year after they got absolutely smashed 
by the Bills last year in the first round of the playoffs, and everyone just calling the, the Patriots over the hill, or is Bill Belichick going to retire? When in reality, what happened last year is Bill Belichick and the Patriots took a rookie quarterback to the playoffs after losing essentially every single player from their prior team. So it actually was a positive season, but the vibes were bad around them all year. And my favorite one is when the Steelers somehow scrounged their way into the playoffs with an, uh, uh, the Island of Misfit Toys as a roster last year with Ben Roethlisberger with half of one elbow left. And the Steelers, oh, they suck, they suck, they suck. Oh, they made the playoffs. And then they get blown out by the Kansas City Chiefs in the peak of the Kansas City Chiefs' power. And somehow the Steelers' fandom in one week shifts the narrative to, well, they suck. Look, he lost another playoff game. As if any right-minded fan thought that the Steelers should beat the Chiefs. Imagine if you were a fan of the Chiefs and the Steelers won that game. We're all Chiefs fans. What would you be saying? Oh, they should have beat them by 55. It's just insane how the goalposts move. So I do think the media coverage and the fan coverage would be extremely negative over the offseason if the Steelers got blown out by the Bills in the postseason. But at the end of the day... I don't think that there's a right or wrong answer. I think you could do either one. I agree with you. These guys are professionals. They're going to go through the offseason. They're going to be psyched for next year no matter what. But I do sort of like the idea of unfinished business going into the offseason, knowing that they should have made the postseason with some of the games that they lost earlier in the year. But like you and I have been saying all year, it's really not about the, the final result with the Steelers. And that's what I think the Steelers, um, the people – who are maybe some of the shock jocks, like I mentioned, in Steelers Nation, what they're failing to recognize is the, what is it, uh, hypocrisy, hypocritical nature of what they're saying. They're worried about the Steelers being a middling team, yet they're, wor- they're worried about them winning games and getting into the playoffs in a year, this year, 2022, where it's physically impossible for them to win the Super Bowl. And if you thought at any point that this year it would be possible for them to win the Super Bowl, you don't understand the NFL. That's not how it works. It's not the 70s. You don't have a Hall of Fame defense and offense returning. You have a rookie quarterback or Mitchell Trubisky. You have a line where two-thirds of it you know, hasn't played together for a long time, and half of them are basically second-year guys. It's a really young team. They were not in the running for the Super Bowl this year. And I don't know why fans can't accept that it's not an option for every single year, but that you can have seasons that set up to become one of those teams. And with the emergence of Kenny Pickett, and yes, we need to see the stats go way up. You can't throw under 10 touchdown passes in a year and and win a Super Bowl. But we've seen a lot of writing on the wall that he's going to be a good player. With the emergence of the running game that was pretty much dominant for the second half of the season, with... How the, off, how the defense came together. There's just a lot of good signs in Pittsburgh that show, hey, we are on the way to potentially opening a Super Bowl window. And for all the shock jocks that want to be angry that the Steelers didn't make the playoffs now, I feel like they're missing their own point. Who cares about the playoffs this year? We care about the process of building a great team. And yes, it would have been cool to make the playoffs, but if you really want to see a winning team be built, it doesn't happen in one year. And really, it's been a three- or four-year process as they've been shedding the older weight of Ben and Pouncey and DeCastro and you know, losing A.B. and got to figure out how to replace that kind of thing and, and, and um, Bud and, and Hilton and big contracts and stuff like that. And it's been a multi-year process, and I think officially we can say the Steelers are going into the offseason 
with legitimate hopes of winning the division next year. And the Steelers may be back in this thing. Not that I'm saying they're going to. It's not like you have Joe Burrow on your team where you, you have Ben Roethlisberger-like expectations. Hey, if you're Joe Burrow in Cincinnati, you know, they're there already. You got a, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. You made a Super Bowl. I'm not saying the Steelers are back there yet, but it's not a, uh, a ridiculous claim at all to think the Steelers could be in, in contention next year. I know you typically don't want to get in the weeds in the individual game, but I think this game is instructive for a couple of reasons. One, the Steelers doubled the Browns score in a few count our phantom touchdown, even more than doubled <laughs> yeah. their score, but came nowhere clear, clear to dominating in any one category. Uh, it was a matter, I'm looking at the, the possession charts and, you know, the, the first three possessions by the Browns were punts. They, uh, two of them ended by interception. So, you know, un, it's kind of inexplicable at some level. And when you look at the defensive statistics, what did the Steelers have? Two, two, two interceptions and seven sacks. <clears throat> Most of the sacks came in the second half, right? Weren't there like two in the first? Yes. And in the final possession, the Steelers got two or three sacks. So my, my buddy, Pat, one of the guys I work out with in the morning came in and said, can you believe that eight sacks? And I said, they didn't get eight sacks. It's ridiculous. They had like two and a half or two. He's like, no, man, no. And we looked it up and I just must've blanked out in that second half. But so to your point, those sacks really came in the last, um, in the last series, but that's but the they only... were they were they were all over him the whole game, and he had some unbelievable escapes. And I think Steelers fans are finally starting to get a look at Deshaun Watson and why I was so upset when they acquired him in the offseason. Like I don't think people realize that Deshaun Watson is, if he's at full power, which he's obviously not. He loves throwing the ball to the other team right now, but he's in a Mahomes Allen level of oh my gosh, this is how do you guard this guy? How many sacks would we have had if it wasn't Deshaun? Yeah, 14 sacks, right? Yeah. And it's funny. This is a yearly thing. The Steelers frequently – I'd love to see the stats. It might take you a little too long to look this up right now, Dad, so I wouldn't bother. But the Steelers get six-plus sacks on the Browns at least once a year, if not twice a year. I know that was one of, uh, like, uh, Chris Sims' complaints about – not complaints about T.J. Watt winning Defensive Player of the Year, but one of the points he sort of tried to make is, like, look, TJ's unbelievable. He's dominant. And I do think Chris underrates TJ a little bit, but he does make a good point when you're talking about the 22 sacks. He's like, he had 10 sacks against Cleveland alone or whatever the number is. So this is a yearly tradition in Pittsburgh. And the fact that they had like the most elusive quarterback I've ever seen. And because I know, you know, Lamar and Fields are better runners, but there's the Lamar um, Watson has this like big Ben thing about him where you can't tackle him when he's in your grasp. Plus he can run away from you. Um, so yeah, even with, with, with him, the Steelers managed to get a lot of sacks, but once again, let's just look at process. You're saying the Steelers were never really dominant in, in any single category. And I agree. And I think when we're talking about yesterday's game, we do have to mention it's probably one of the worst refereed games we saw all season, if not the worst for both sides. I mean, the Steelers sacked Deshaun Watson by his face mask, which I will say, um, Look, I'll, I don't want to say that I was first to tweet this and then I saw some other tweets along the same lines, but I'm, let's just say I'm glad that the group think is in a good place. I think it's reasonable for players to be able to face mask Deshaun Watson. I think, like, let's just, hey, you're playing. You got a massive guaranteed contract. This kind of doesn't feel fair. You mind just throwing us a bone? They're going to face mask you. We're not going to call it. I feel like it's the manly thing for him to, to say, you know what, that seems fair. So you can debate that one if – slamming Deshaun Watson down by his face mask should be a penalty or not. But 
currently where the rules stand, it is a penalty. They didn't call that. I mean, obviously, Steelers got some nice phantom pass interference calls that they benefited off of. And then Cam Hayward, luckily, that that sack that he had to Deshaun Watson was highly publicized all over Twitter on Barstool Sports and Warren Sharp and all the football accounts. Like, uh, the one of the worst roughing in the passer calls of the season that led to a Browns touchdown. It was poorly ref. So I think there was a slop a sloppy aspect to the game in general. But let's bring it back to the main theme. It's about process. And the Steelers over a nine week span of going seven and two over the second half of the season, they have developed a process. And the process is this number one, they can run on anybody. And if they invest in that offensive line over the offseason like we hope they do to bolster it, which, by the way, we can say it now. Let's hope they stay. Actually, let's not even say it. They had good health this year. Let's hope they have good health next year. But they need to bolster that. But they can run on anybody. And they have a quarterback who hopefully will improve at making plays in the pocket, but he makes great plays out of structure and a receiver who can make big plays downfield and George Pickens. And then on defense, they do the same thing that Pittsburgh has been doing for 50 years. They stop the run, and they create havoc. They get sacks, and they get turnovers. They had 20 picks this year, 20 or 21 picks. They led the NFL, I believe, unless somebody leapfrogged them within the last week. So worst case, they're in like the top two or so of, of the league in interceptions, if not the actual lead league. And, you know, you were talking about it at one point when David Njoku, their tight end, was just catching free runners up the middle for a while. And I said, like, look, it's been looking that play tight ends and receivers going up the seams. We've been seeing that forever, even when the Steelers were winning Super Bowls with Dick LeBeau. It's sort of a function, I think, of the Steelers play so much zone defense that when you learn how to beat a zone defense, that's the way it looks. But the Steelers are never looking to just plaster your receivers and not let them catch anything. The Steelers know that getting sacks and turnovers are going to eventually break the dam, and then you turn around and you go, oh, the Steelers won 28-14. to 14. So I think the Steelers have a... Uh, an identity right now of running the ball, creating havoc on defense, and then it seems like hopefully they'll be adding this big play element of, you know, Kenny scrambling and hitting guys downfield. And you know what that sounds off an awful lot like? Sounds an awful like the beginning of Ben's career. Doesn't it? I'm not saying he's Ben, but I mean the way the team was structured. Run first, and then Ben, we just need to hit you we need you to hit a couple crazy plays throughout the course of the game and the defense will take care of the rest. So is it an intentional development? Uh, when you look at a quarterback, gaining experience is important, like you pointed out with Ben. And Ben also, didn't he really sort of have an uptick when we switched offensive coordinators? I think that uh, was the getting... Steelers were losing coordinators because they were getting head coaching jobs, and I, I don't think it was a result of coordinators. I think it was the natural maturation process, personally, although you could make the argument that when they switched to Todd Haley, there were those two transition years, but – he did emerge as a much, much better pocket passer during that, uh, after that switch, which was the explicit goal of firing uh, Bruce Arians and switching to Haley. The Steelers talked about it relentlessly then. Hey, Ben's career is only going to be 10 years if he doesn't learn how to po uh, be a pocket passer. And he did learn how to do that, which is funny when people talk about guys like Kenny Pickett or even Zach Wilson drifting out of the pocket and say, oh, you can't fix that. I'm like, we, we've what? We watched Ben Roethlisberger do it. We've watched multiple quarterbacks do it. Steve Young, even Michael Vick when he pulled it together with the Eagles. Like that, that can be done. So that's uh, hope for Kenny. 
So I'd, I'd look at the running game was it's a place that they really did intentionally develop. First of all, the offensive line stayed healthy, can't control that, but they played together. And I think that time in the trenches obviously helped them. And then two things having to do with Najee. And the first one, as you, you pointed this out during the game, probably feels better. The ankle, the Liz Frank may have been yeah, um, foot. Got, got past that. And the other thing is he maybe it was a result of that injury, but he started uh, moving north and south more than he was east and west. So there was a transformation in the running game after the bye week. Yeah, and the implementation of Jalen Warren. And well, realizing, like, yeah. hey, this guy needs to get Our in every weapon. drive. Because especially you look at the way that Najee runs, and it he just reminds me so much of a combination of Jerome Bettis and Le'Veon Bell. He's such a Steelers running back. He's a huge man. He's never going to break a 50-yard run, but he's going to kill you with seven-yard runs where it's inevitable. There, how many times did he get stopped three yards in the backfield and he gets a three-yard gain? That's what the Steelers like. But he gets in so many violent collisions, and he wins pretty much every single one of them. But he does a lot of bending and contorting. Like when Miles Garrett jumps on him and Najee will do a full squat, like butt to the ground and then throw him off and get tackled by another guy. It is sort of scary. Watch it. Like he takes a lot of car crash hits, whereas with the bus, it sort of felt like this guy's so big. What he doesn't really look like it hurts. Then we saw, of course, we saw the NFL films specials on him of him after game day and he couldn't even walk down the stairs. So we understood it took a toll. But I guess what I'm trying to say is, the way Najee plays, and this is the way he needs to continue to play because this is his gift, getting into car crashes, aggressively getting up and jawing at people after he hits them on a run, it's very effective. You, you got to make sure you don't have him on the field for every single play. So bringing Jalen Warren in and how effective he was, yeah, probably his worst game yesterday with those drops. But um, that was really big too, I feel like, implementing Jalen Warren. So I, I know we don't do, want to do a whole lot of numbers on this po- podcast, but it bears uh, reporting. Najee Harris has over 1,000 yards in his first two seasons, and he is the first uh, player in Steeler history to do so. Yeah, he's looking great. Obviously, uh, Le'Veon's rookie year was cut short by like four games or so, and, and the line was still getting together before the breakout the following year, and Drum Bettis was a ram for his rookie year. So when you look at the other great Steelers running backs – uh, they didn't have quite the same opportunity, but hey, man, Najee's playing on a crappy offense for two years. That looks a lot better now, but it, it goes a long way. He definitely looks like a first-round running back. I don't know where you would rank him overall in running backs in the NFL, him not being able to you know, score 50-yard touchdowns like a lot of those guys can, but it truly doesn't matter. He is a Steelers running back, and he fits what the Steelers want to do, and like I said, it's just very clear that they have an identity now of being able to run the ball and play good defense, which I just didn't know if it would be possible or not, and it seems like they're there. And the last thing to add to the equation is, are the quarterback and offensive coordinator going to be able to start generating more consistent, aggressive passing plays? And if they can do that, then the Steelers are probably as good as many of the other great teams in the league. So a couple of uh, just a couple more numbers I think people would be interested in. TJ Watt with uh, credit for a full sack that he received now has 78 and a half sacks and he passes Joe Green and Elsie Greenwood uh, to gain sole possession of the second most sacks in Steeler history. And I know you were saying that there was a they didn't really start counting sacks officially, but there was a study done earlier this year where they did go back and look at game tape and pushed it back a little bit. So I don't know how legit that is, but um, for whatever right. it's worth. The other thing, this is... That's no, cool. Obviously, I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. they played far fewer games, and then in those games, yeah. they passed 
they didn't pass a lot. So it's just fun to look it's down Steelers' lore. We're not really comparing them. It's just a cool thing to look at. Obviously, well, TJ's freaking amazing, and he belongs in, in that category regardless. And this is a stat of the weird. The Steelers opened up with seven sacks, ended the year with seven sacks. Cam Hayward <laughs> had a sack in the first series of uh, – the first, first game, first play of the first, first game, and the first last play line. of the season, and the last play of the season. There you go. Yeah, that is. I don't know what weird. that means. Hey, so um, it's a sign. There, there's another sign going on, and that is coaching changes. Before the day is done, there's already been a couple yeah. of coaching changes. Um, Cardinals fire Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury, Kingsbury. <clears throat> and Levy Smith lost his job with the Texans. Can anybody else be far behind? Is the question. I'll be shocked if they fire Canada, to be honest with you. Um, Tomlin was noncommittal in his press conference. He said Canada improved over the second half of the season the same way that the offense itself and the young players improved, but he's not going to make any comments on players or coaches. So I'll be shocked if they do it. You know, the players the past two weeks, Najee, Kenny, everybody, they've been extremely complimentary of Canada. They really have his back. And Kenny in particular said this week that he's just had – He's had a lot more control over the offense the past few weeks. He's been able to actually put in place himself. He's not calling plays right now at the line of scrimmage, but he has more checks. He has more alerts. And he said, when I came in against the Jets, you know, I was just trying to execute the plays and jump on a moving train after Mitch was the starting quarterback. And now by the end of the year, he gets more input. And you do have to give uh, Canada and Tomlin credit for that, even letting a rookie quarterback have input. And, I want to put that in perspective. I don't think that that means Kenny's making game plans, but I think Kenny's just being vocal about like, hey, here's the plays that I am really comfortable with. Can we find a way of getting these in there? But also he said on the George Pickens touchdown, the wide open post route down the middle of the field, that's something that he saw on film. I think he pointed out that they saw it as a staff, but he kind of made it sound like he particularly pointed this out. Hey, when the Browns get this look on offense, this is what their safety does. I think we'll be able to get that team with the sort of play. So it's kind of hard. Like I'm, you know, I hope they do it. I hope, I hope they have the bravery to do it and, and sign a Frank Wright or something like that. But, um, you know, there seems to be a lot of support of Canada inside the building. So I wouldn't hold my breath too much. Not surprisingly, there is interest reported for Brian Flores, but disappointingly we hear that it's for the, um, coordinator Browns. job in Cleveland. Yeah. Uh, they can't let that happen. So this, I think that everybody wants to be desperate and blame everything on Tomlin in, in Canada because that's what you do when you're a hack is you just throw out head coach and, and coordinator and you don't back it up with any sort of evidence whatsoever. Like people don't like Canada, but they can't tell you why, right? Just, there's not points. Like, well, maybe compare him to other coordinators and com- watch other games and tell me how those look. And nobody does that, right? So yes, of course, I think there are massive issues with Canada, but Flores... It was a bona fide star in New England. He's a bona fide star in Miami. Coming, and they were crap before he got there. They're worse this year, Dad. They're going to the playoffs. They're limping in. The team was better last year with Flores. It's insane. They went like what one and six, one and seven over the second half of the season. So for all the talk of Mike McDaniel's and Tyree Kill and oh two is good now, the team was better with Flores. So that's a star. I. I think that's where you have to be brave and, you know, whatever you got to do with Terrell Austin, you do it. But I'm not letting Flores out of the building. I'm definitely not letting him go to the Browns. So, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But let's wrap this thing up here in the next couple of minutes. That I just want to end with a Tomlin thing. So, I've tried to tweet this out a number of times and I just I, – I 
have found myself unable to be concise with it. I just want to talk about the Mike Tomlin thing. The distortion around how good or bad he is, I think, is horrific. I th- Look, I'm not saying he's impugned to criticism and he does some things wrong. <clears throat> but I can tell you major flaws in every great coach. Andy Reid, you know, look how many times they choke against bad competition. You can say they've only made the Super Bowl once with Mahomes, and they should have lost it if they didn't have a miracle, which was not Andy Reid-related. It was Mahomes drifting black and throwing an unbelievable 4th and 17 catch. If, if they don't win that Super Bowl, people say, oh, Andy Reid still sucks. Because once again, we're not judging process. We're judging results, which are results come from a huge variable of things that you don't have control over. You have control over certain things, not everything. And what, Sean Payton, they never even went back to the Super Bowl. You don't think Sean Payton's a good super coach? Aaron Rodgers, oh, he must be overrated and he sucks because he's been to one Super Bowl. By the way, I'm just going to systematically go through and name all the best coaches in the league or the quarterbacks and show you that the 70s are over and the Brady-Belichick combo is over. Shanahan, best offense, automatic offensive coordinator. They have a good chance of going to the Super Bowl with the last player selected in the draft as the quarterback, a rookie. But he hasn't won a Super Bowl. Oh, so he's a choke artist. Sean McVay, worst Super Bowl defending team of all time. And is probably going to quit to go to media. I guess he sucks too. Belichick, they haven't won a playoff game in what, like four years? Okay, great. Who is left? Who are, the, who are these mysterious dominant coaches that Steelers fans are comparing to? What I look at is the Steelers lose Hall of Fame quarterback, receiver, and running back. Then they lose two Pro Bowl receivers behind them, Artavis and Juju. They lose all five members of a top three line. If you're counting with me at home, that's every single player. That's every player. You lost every player. So is the implication that you're going to hit on all seven draft picks and you'll be the first team ever that has seven rounds of draft picks who are not just starters in their rookie year but stars and by the way that's still four offensive players you haven't accounted for like to me this rebuild is going very well we don't know where it will end at this time next year dad we will know what the trajectory is if they take a step back that's a bad that's bad right but i guess i'm just trying to say is like stop moving the bar off of easy headlines look at the nfl if sean payton wasn't able to win another one if shanahan hasn't won yet if all the great coaches in the league, they have a good year or two. Everyone has their, their couple good years, and then the salary cap hits you, and you lose your players. Unless you have a Hall of Fame quarterback, like Ben or Russ when he was good, or Rodgers or Brady, and then your in-between reload years look better. You still win 10 games because you're never going to be crap when you have a prime Hall of Fame quarterback. But that's the quarterback. That's the way that the game is structured, right? So... I think Tomlin's done a great job developing these rookies. If you listen to his post-game press conferences, all he talks about is them being in a work in progress. He knows they weren't winning the Super Bowl this year. He knows they're loading up to try and win it next year. Because it's just impossible. Who expected them to compete for a Super Bowl that year, this year? That's insane. Right? So I think that when people get super angry at him, it's just a little bit lazy, and I don't know what the expectation was. And people say, like, oh, they squandered the first half of the season going 2-6. and Once again, ask yourself, did you really go into this season with Mitch Trubisky at quarterback and a rookie and a completely inexperienced, basically all-rookie or second-year player offense, and your thought was, yeah, we're going to run the table. 
like, you know what? The whole Joe Burrow thing is just a fluke. He's actually not good. Oh, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, that's a fluke. Oh, the Baltimore, like, you're just not living in reality if that's your expectation. Now the expectations can be raised with what the Steelers have done. But I think this is a very successful season. I think the effusive praise for Tomlin is deserved. This isn't him constantly falling short of the mark. They're not the Cowboys or the Vikings, right? They had a chance with the Killer Bees era. It didn't work out. They had horrible injuries. Look, the, the Buccaneers and the Kansas City Chiefs, they weren't going to the Super Bowl if Tyree Kill and Kelsey and Godwin and Evans were injured, right? Same with Steelers aren't going if Le'Veon Bell and A.B. are injured. It's what is your expectation here? So I guess that's my last thing because the Tomlin slander online is maddening. I just feel like people aren't even watching football. They don't watch other teams. I'm not saying it's a guarantee, but I find it insane to interpret this any other way than this was a successful season where you started rough because nobody's ever played before and you ended really encouragingly. And let's see what Kenny can do because that's the last step. If Mike could shake the jinx that's associated with his challenges and non-challenges, he'd be fine. Hey, listen, we have uh, 108 days to the draft. The Steelers are in 17th position in the first round and also get the 32nd and 49th pick. We have plenty to talk about, plenty to analyze. We have our hypothesis and our desires for the team. We're going to match them up to a lot of mock drafts by some of the quote-unquote experts, and then we will compare our prognostication to reality. Again, 108 days to the draft. Beautiful. Hit us up on Twitter at Steelers Outpost. Shoot us up. Shoot us up. Shoot up an email. Shoot us an email at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next week, go Steelers. Okay, bye-bye. Steel Town's on its last legs. City spirits almost dead. Night shift over and over again. Same old thing, it never ends. But all three rivers they run. Thank you, Franco.